Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. Not to tell you something, people, you know I've talked about my girlfriend, the lovely Joanne, many times, and, and we've been together for about, I mean, almost almost seven years, and we know before the year's end, we're getting engaged. We already talked about it. In fact, as I talk to the microphone right now, my brother, who's a jewelry designer in Manhattan, is making her ring, and I decided... I'm going to get engaged on Christmas Eve. Now, she won't hear this because she never listens to my show. But the reason people are saying that's sort of unoriginal, whatever. But here is my thought process. We're going to go out for dinner. And there's a big group. And, you know, she's Italian. And every Christmas Eve we do the night, the Feast of Seven Fishes, which if you haven't done, you have to. If you love seafood, it's just amazing. But I figured it'll be a great atmosphere if we get engaged before. And I also figure we can go out. And I know we won't have to pay for dinner because everyone will be happy. Anyway, we have a great show today. Our guest, he's, you've seen him on TV, you've seen him in movies, you've seen him on stage, he's a writer, he does voiceovers, he's an improv legend out of Chicago, and my guest is David Pesquese. How you doing, David? Good, thanks, Steve. How you doing? I'm doing well. Now, I listened to an interview on WMGN, and uh, you were in Italy at the time with your wife. How did you get engaged? Um, it, I, I believe it went something like this. I think I was on the telephone with her when I was working in Atlantic City at one of the casinos for a, a summer. We were doing shows there, and I think she was in New York, and I was in Atlantic City, and I said something like, what do you think? Maybe we should get hitched, and I think that was the extent of my proposal. <laughs> but that's that's good. It's, it's straight. It's direct. It's super fancy. Yeah. <laughs> and romantic. Super fancy and romantic. Exactly. So so you you were born in Chicago and you you've you live in Chicago yep. and you've had this you've been involved in improv and acting. When you were a kid, did you want to get into acting? Was your family into theater or showbiz or, or what was your childhood like that made you follow this route and you've had such a long and successful career? How did it all start? I did not have any experience or desire or um, uh, I didn't even imagine it possible, but I never set foot on a stage. I wasn't in kid productions. I was I, uh, not until I was almost out of college. Um, so I, I came real late to this. Um, and the only reason I started was I was in college. My brother was in law school and he was going to take a couple improv classes and um and my mom insisted that i tag along with him and so i did and i really enjoyed it from the very beginning but i was you know 21 i think at that time now what was when you went into improv classes because i've had so many chicago people and the one thing i've noticed about chicago people you know whether it be you know, Pat Finn or Joel Mary or, you know, Rose Abdul or people who were involved in all that. Everyone seems to have constantly worked and they're all just really nice people. When you started out, what was the scene like in the Chicago improv area? Was it IO? Was it Second City? Or where, where did you start? It was uh, before all that. Uh, so there was no, you know, they, they call it improv, but most of the time, you know, if that someone's in an improv group, most of the time what they really mean is they're in a sketch comedy group um, and uh, they do some improvised games and stuff. But so I came up with Joel Murray okay. um, and we and um, we we met in. So after I went to those first couple improv classes, I ended up going to school in Rome and I met Joel in Rome. And we when we came back from there, um, Joel was given the advice from one of his brothers that this guy named Del Close is teaching classes and um, that he should, that Joel should look him up if he was interested in that kind of thing. And so I was the beneficiary of that good advice. And we went uh, and joined Del's classes. And at that time, he was developing this long form group improvisation called The Herald for performance. And we just happened to be there at that time. And so that's how we came up. We came up doing this long-form uh, group improvisation that had not existed before. Up until that time, most 
improv was just these games that were thrown into a regular sketch show or improvisation was used as a means to develop material that would then be scripted and be the show. But Dell's idea was that this long-form improvisation could itself be the evening's entertainment. And that was new. Now, as you're doing that, are you getting more comfortable on stage? Because it is new grounds, and it's something that, you know, I did stand-up for many years, and, you know, the first few years, it was it's, it's very scary. But for you, because the Herald was newer, what was the experience? Well, it was weird, because we don't know what we're doing. Right? We don't know what it's supposed to look like, because we've never seen anything. So we're just kind of, Dell's using us to come up with it. And there had been other people who had done something called a Herald, but not for, not really as performance. It was a way to generate material, and it would, or if they ever performed it, it was kind of a placeholder while they developed material. So there were people who had seen it, but we never had. Um, and uh, it was weird, it, because a lot of times it, it was real hit and miss. And so you'd walk out like, I wonder if this is going to be a good night. And it was always kind of a crapshoot. And then as we got better, we got more, our, our batting average went up. But at the very beginning, I remember my dad came and saw this stuff. And it was weird. You know, it, it's, it, it was weirder than it is entertaining. Um, and at, at least back then, I think now they're probably more entertaining. But back then, it was just, there was some weird stuff going on. And my dad said, now, I understand why you do it, but why do people come and watch it? And uh, I think that's I think that's an excellent question. Um, it was it was you know uh, often not good. Now um, now what, as you're doing it, are you looking at you're going to use this to parlay you into career, or what was your mind frame when you're doing it? Because I'm sure there wasn't a lot of money in it at that time because it was new. Right there's there was no money. We were all doing it for free um, and. Um, it was only people, and it was a guaranteed dead end. Improvisation, like if you're doing sketch, you could put that up in a bar, and people, you can make a, little, a couple bucks. No one's going to pay to come and see this kind of improvisation, or no one had, right? So it it is a guaranteed dead end, so that attracts a certain kind of individual, um, and, <laughs> and that's who we were, right? We have no desire to do anything but this thing that we really like doing. It's not a stepping stone to something else. I mean, off in the distance, the only paying job in Chicago at that time was Second City. So that's in the distance. Boy, that would be great if we could ever work there, but we weren't doing it for that. We were just doing it to try to get better at this thing. Now, what, it, was really, it was really exciting. Well, I could imagine, because it's like anything, you know, it, it's on the forefront. It's, it's something that, you know, you said this long form and People really weren't coming, and, and you know. Sometimes I think as a performer, you have a better show when there's a smaller crowd or hardly any crowd because you're very loose compared to when there's a ton of people. You tighten up a little bit because you feel the pressure you have to do well. Put put pressure on yourself, exactly. And right, and I think that's a, a key thing with improvisation is you need to be pretty comfortable because if you're all tensed up, you're not. You're it's it's not helpful. Now, so you're doing this. Now, when do you start figuring out you can have a career? What was your step or, let's say, your break? Did you go after doing, you know, the Herald? Did you decide to audition for Second City? Or what happened? Yes. All we're doing, we're, we're a group, and we, we're doing the Herald, and then we, uh, 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 some of us also started to improvise and do some sketch stuff down the street at another club called Gas Bars, which is now Shuba's. And that was uh, Joel and I again, Chris Barnes and J.J. Jones and Mark Beltzman and uh, Becky Claus and Honor Finnegan. And, uh, and then Second City, they came to see us because um, they, you know, to hire for the touring company. And they came and hired all the guys but me. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. And so what happened was they went on the road with Second City, and I stayed with Dell and doing these shows and stuff, and I would not ever have chosen that. I would have much rather have been picked first. But um, uh, the next hiring that was available at Second City, I, I went in. But um, I ended up spending another, like, nine or ten months studying with Dell, and I 
got the benefit of that. And again, I, I, I certainly wouldn't have chosen it, but it turned out to be the best thing for me. Now, who was in the road group when you went? Because I've heard different stories. Like uh, my friend Rose Abdu was in the Rose uh, road group, and she said some nights you do like these amazing shows, and then some nights you'd be in front of like six people. I mean, who was in your road group, and what was the experience like for you? It was a lot of those same people that I just mentioned. Uh, my our road company, we had a blast. It was uh, Joel, and Joel Murray, and Mark Beltzman, and me, and Chris Barnes, JJ Jones, uh, Fran Adams. Ruthie Rudnick, Holly Wartel. Um, it was, we had a great time. Tim O'Malley. Um, and then after we did that for a while, then they opened up another theater at Second City out by the airport, and our road company became the resident company at this satellite theater. And that was Joel and, and Beltzman and O'Malley and me and Ruthie and Ruthie Rudnick and Fran Adams. And, um, and Fred Kaz was our director and piano player. And then from there, Joel and I both went downtown to the main stage. And uh, Del became our director after some time, a little bit of time. So a weird thing happened, and he, the, Bernie Salins, the director, ended up uh, stepping down. And we asked if Del could come in, and he hadn't been in Second City in a long time. So Del directed, and the cast became Joel Murray, me, Joe Liss, um, Chris Farley, Tim Meadows, Holly Wartell, and Judith Scott. And it was, uh, we had a great time. So at this point, are now you sitting there thinking that you're going to make a career of this? Or did you have a day job at the time? Or what, what was your focus? No, by the time you're on main stage, the day jobs had gone away. Um, when you're on the road, you still have, I was working at a restaurant. And then, uh, and then also... When you're doing that in Chicago, anyway, the, the supplemental income is commercial work, um, and so you do on-camera commercial work. And then I also started to do a little bit of uh, some voiceover work, and that started to become um, uh, another way to be able to stay in Chicago. Because after a while, then you stay at Second City for a while. I did a few reviews there, and then it's you know it becomes clear. Oh, I'm not. I'm, it's time to. It's, and it, people do it at different rates and stuff. But at one point, you're just like, okay, this is, I'm going to head out of here. And uh, the job is still the same. It was, it's, it's a great job. Um, but, uh, and then I was able to stay in Chicago because of the advertising industry. Um, and I consider that a, a win. I really like Chicago. Now, when do you start trying to parlay into TVs and movies? Because I know there was a production being in Chicago. There was things being shot in Chicago back then. I know Beltsman. I do know Mark. We were in actually in an awful, awful movie together called Killer Drag Queens on Dope. And uh, it was, um, but he said there was, there was work. This movie was awful. He played Anthony. I played Tony. It was the worst. And I had to shave my goatee because he had more credits and had a goatee. It was one of those things, and I they go, you can't both have goatees and glasses, and you're both balding. So I'm like, oh, screw this. The goatee goes off. I take my glasses off. I'm cross-eyed. I'm cross-eyed without my glasses off. So I look like the fool. And can you imagine looking like the fool next to Beltsman? It's pretty tough. That's hard to do. Right. <laughs> so was there, was there movies going on at the time that you could audition for? There were. There was stuff, com stuff comes to town. Um... um and also there was stuff, TVs, a little bit of TV that was shot here, and once in a while movies would come in. And yes, I was starting to get some of those jobs. And then after I stopped working at Second City, I, I never, so I know you've interviewed Spencer Garrett. Um, I was his roommate out in Los Angeles. Even though my wife and kids were here in Chicago, I spent an awful lot of time going back and forth, and I kept a place out there, and uh, Spencer was my roommate. And uh, um, so I... I I went out there to to try to get other work and stuff. Now, what was, I mean, I know you did Groundhog's Day and The Fugitive. How did, were they very, they were smaller parts. How did they come about? How did you start getting into the those movie? Are smaller, those were smaller parts. Those were, Chicago, those were both shot in Chicago. Uh, auditioned and got them. Uh, uh, but um, Andy Davis, who directed uh, um, Fugitive, was a, he, he liked working with Second City people. So he'd, he'd bring people in to fill out uh, all the local hires, and he was great. Um, 
and then uh, that was Harold Ramis for Groundhog Day, and I just went in and auditioned and, and did that. Um, and at that time, I'm all, I was also starting to travel a lot more and starting to try to get jobs. I'd audition while in Los Angeles, too. Now, what was it like for a guy who basically had, I mean, you did some commercial work, but you, you had a background on stage doing improv. What was it like when you were in front of the camera in a movie? Because it's a very, very, you know, even if it's a small part, it's one scene, take after take. How do you parlay to that? Is it easier because you had such a great background in improv? I, I think that being, you know, uh, logging hours on stage in front of audiences is tremendous experience and useful for any kind of performance. Um, I remember, I think it was Malkovich that I read in an, in an interview a long time ago, he said, you learn how to do it on stage, and then you show what you've learned on film and TV. Um, and so, uh, and I don't know if that's true, I, it resonates with me. Um, and so, it, it's a piece of cake if you get a bunch of different shots at it. Um, so I think it's much much easier um, to do film. So you're working, and I know like, you're and you're doing now. You get into TV, you get into a show called Common Law. That seems like it was one of your first recurring roles. Were you a regular in that series? And it was with a late. Group. I was a regular in that series. That was Greg Giraldo. Yeah, it was really fun. We had a great group: uh, Carlos Jacot and uh, Diana Maria Riva and uh, um, Megan Price. Uh, price, yeah, and uh, it was really fun. Now, what's that like when you're a regular on a series, and now you're still, you're living in Chicago, I guess, but you still have a place in L.A., but what's it like when you're in a series? Was that shot in L.A.? It was. It was at Sunset Gower. Um, it was, uh, yeah, and I was going back and forth on weekends, because my kids were little, um, so I was going home every weekend. Now, the series gets canceled. What is that like for an actor? Um, uh, huh. it, it's, it was, you know, different people, uh, reacted differently. <laughs> I, um, you know, it was fun. It's, it was a great group. It was really fun to do. I enjoyed all the work. Oh, also like, uh, some of the writers on that show, uh, Mitch Hurwitz, uh, Rob Lezeb, Lezebnik, uh, Peter Marietta. It was really, it was a really fun group. Um, uh, but you know, it's it's a it's a kick in the it's a kick in the nuts, of course. But because um, you just like to keep doing it. But the, also the thing is, it's not it, it's weird being you know. So you work at Second City and you come up with your own material, you perform your own material, and you pretty much perform your own material how you want to perform your own material. So you never get that chance ever again. <laughs> you, so I mean, it's it, uh, a TV show. All, all I, if, if I'm an actor on a TV show, all I do is show up and say what they've already written. You know, so it's not, I, it's hard to be, to take it real personally that it got canceled because it wasn't my, you know, I, I can't take credit for it. So, because uh, I didn't, it's, it's somebody else's, right? It's all, it's the writers. They, they're the ones who put, who made it. And I really like, you know, I, I really like that show. It was really fun. Um, but I can't, I can't get too bummed out. They can get bummed out. Um, but, uh, yeah, I was, it's, 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 what's a drag is, oh, I gotta look for another job again, too. That's the biggest, I mean, that's the practical end of it. I, I have, I don't have a job. Now, I have to look, I need a job. Were you still doing improv when you would go back on weekends to Chicago, or was that more family time? Not regularly, and when I was spending so much time out in Los Angeles, I was improvising out there. Um, and with, and that's another thing about improvisation, at least in those days, it was a real supportive community. And again, I think some of it has to do with people who love improvisation are doing it because they love improvisation, not because they want to get ahead at anything. So, uh, this community of folks was really wonderful. Um, uh, Jeff Machowski and Jane Morris, uh, always had a theater out in Santa Monica and it was kind of kept me sane while I was out there because I was out there on my own and um, going and seeing everybody there and working, you know, improvising with them was really great. 
Now, in your career, you've also done an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm, and everyone says that's always a fun shoot because it's just improv. How was that for you, being a master improver? What was that like? Well, I mean, uh, <coughs> just like most, a lot of times when people talk about being in an improv group, they really mean it's sketch comedy. Improvisation is a huge umbrella. So uh, some of this on-stage, long-form improvisation, you have no idea what this evening is going to be. You, you can't have any idea, and it's not helpful to have any idea of what's going to happen. But things like a TV show, you can't possibly do that. So a lot of, a lot of it's already known. What isn't known is exactly the words you're going to use to say those things. So that's the improvisation there, is just the dialogue. No. It's fun. In your in your improv, I know you've done that show TJ and Dave with TJ Jagodowski. How did that happen? And explain mm-hmm. that show to my listeners, because people, if you don't know TJ, you, you probably know him from the Sonic commercials. He's the like the fair fair haired guy. But tell me how that came about and what makes it different, because everyone says it's a really kick ass show. Well, um, it is. It came about. We ended up getting thrown. He's considerably younger than I am. We didn't come up together. He went through a similar, he has a similar background of mine in that he uh, studied with Dell for a little while, and then he was at Second City also um, on the main stage. And um, he, we ended up getting thrown together at an uh, improv festival and worked together, and it, we enjoyed each other's company, so we decided to try doing something together. And we had no idea what it was going to be, and we decided to just keep it to the two of us until we found we needed uh, other people. And we ended up just making it work with the two of us. Um, And uh, so what we do is we just start, and then we the the lights go out about uh, 50-something minutes later. And that's it. We have no idea what we're going to play, how many people we're going to play, where we're going to be, anything, we don't discuss it in any way. And it's really, uh, uh, it's still real, it's a hoot for me. We're, we got a show tomorrow night. Well, now, I'm looking forward to it. Now, where, where do you perform at for that show? Um, our home has always been the, you know, I.O. Chicago. Um, and we ran it here for 15 years every every week for 15 years. And we're, we're not doing it regularly currently. And we also do it, did it in New York at the Barrow Street Theater for about 10 years. Uh, about five times a year, we'd go in for a long weekend and do four shows. Um, and we played Town Hall a few times. And it's, it's really fun. Now, you're writing. You also write, and you're involved in a show called Factory that you wrote for. Tell me about your writing career and how that got started. I mean, besides saying improv. I, it started just by writing stuff because I, stuff I wanted to do, or usually not I wanted to do, stuff we wanted to do. I don't write by myself almost hardly at all. Um, I write with people to, to create stuff that we want to do. And uh, a lot of times we'll just shoot it. Um, like there's this one little uh, web series called uh, thegraveyardshow.com. And we just, it's Chris Stolte and I are on camera, and Ron Lazzaretti directs, and the three of us write them all. And they're just these little, these little simple things, and um, that's a, an excellent example of, of we want to do stuff that we want to do. And so that's usually what prompts me to write anything, um, working with people I like and uh, trying, to, trying to write something that ultimately we're going to do, or try to. Well, the show Factory was on was on was on what was on TBS or was it on a network? It was on Spike. It was their first comedy, and they gave us an order for six episodes. Um, and it was now we improvised on that, um, and we really we actually improvised. So there were scripts and there was outlines, but some some of the stories would change throughout the week because we were open to what was happening during the show. So that was, uh, that was unlike some other shows that we already mentioned, which are really uh, specifically planned out. The only thing that's not planned is the dialogue. But these, because they're real super intricate, and this was just, this was actually, there was a lot of improvisation in it. 
Right. Now, as, as you're doing these shows and improving, are you doing commercials? And I know you do voiceovers. What was some of your voiceover work back then? Were you doing voiceovers still back then? Yes. Um, I was doing a, I used to do a, uh, uh, quite a lot. Um, did somebody say McDonald's? Um, that was always me. Okay. Um, uh, and most recently the, uh, the state farm, I was on uh, state farm, but some, uh, substantial accounts I used to do, uh, uh, GM and I did an awful lot of McDonald's and the state farm and stuff, dial soap, bush beer. Um, it was, a yeah, it was real. that is, I'm really grateful to the advertising, uh, industry to, um, that sure makes a, um, <clears throat> makes it possible to be a performer, um, in the United States of America, because even if you like go show to show to show on stage in Chicago, even at the top, uh, theaters, you cannot have a living to raise a family. You, it's impossible. Even if you go show to show to show, now, um, you have to supplement it. Did you ever want to move to L.A. full time? I mean, because you've been in Chicago. Was there ever something that you said, you know what, I want to do this? Or was your career good enough and doing well enough where you didn't have to? And you said, this is my roots. This is my town. And I want to be here. Yep. I'd say the... The latter. Um, I do. I do what I. I really value being able to live here. I really enjoy it. Now, Angels and Demons. Where did that shoot, and how did that role come about? I auditioned in my little. Uh, I taped myself in a in my little room uh, here in Chicago, and it was an it was a taped audition that I did on my own for uh, Ron Howard and then I went they brought me out for a table read and they gave me the job during the table they they, uh, they um, confirmed that I got the job during the table read um, and then I went to got to go to uh, Rome and shoot a lot of it there a lot of uh, about a month shot in Rome and then the rest was um, on stages at uh, Sony and also in the parking lot of the uh, Hollywood Casino racetrack. They built St. Peter's Square was built in the parking lot of the Hollywood Casino and racetrack. It was, I just love that. Now, as an actor, I mean, you really have to feel like you really have come a, a long way when you're working with Ron Howard and Tom Hanks. I mean, what is the feeling? I mean, you, you were in... Second City, and and you know, the, and you guys had a great troop. So you were playing with the big leagues back then at the young age, but these guys are giant names. Nervousness, even though you know you're a professional, you know they hired you because you're good, but you have a certain angst before you would perform in front of the camera for someone like Aron Howard. Of course, uh, <laughs> but it went away, you know, because you don't know them. That's why it's there. Because it's you know, there's there's unknowns. It's unfamiliar. But after a couple days, oh, these guys are just guys. They're, they're great guys. They're not out to judge me or anything. They just, everybody wants, everybody, oh, right, of course. Everybody just wants, wants this to go well for everyone, right? <laughs> uh, and once you, you know, intellectually you understand that, but once you recognize it, oh, right, that everything's cool, then you kind of relax. But also, I mean, one of my first gigs was Groundhog Day, so I'm in rehearsal. And it's a, uh, they kicked everybody out, and it's just me and Bill Murray and, and uh, Harold Ramis. So um, after that, for a kid who, with my background, it doesn't get any, there are no bigger names in my world right. than those. And they, they, and so, okay, I'm fine. Now, you've, you've also done stage work. I mean, I, you know, I look at your resume, your, your website, people, it's davidpesquisi.com, D-A-V-I, well, David, and then P-A-S-Q-U-E-S-I.com. It has all his info, his voiceover reels. What is it like playing a role, you know, just coming over to a Glen Gary, Glen Ross, being in Step, you know, be at the Steppenwolf Theater, being a guy from Chicago who's been in Second City? Isn't that like a triple crown, like Improv Olympic, you know, Steppenwolf and Second City? Isn't that what everyone in Chicago would aspire to do? 
I don't I don't know about that. I, it's sure a hoot for me. I really enjoy doing all the different stuff. Um, it's and um, that that was a particularly fantastic show. The cast was great, and uh, the of course the material and the the production was wonderful. And it's a really cool theater, and Amy Morton directed it. And it was that was a great time. Um, yeah, and so the in Chicago. It used to be, there used to be kind of a distinction between the folks who are, you know, the, the, the carnies over at Second City and, uh, and then the real actors. And I think those lines are blurred. And there was also, a, there used to be a theater in Chicago called the Remains Theater. And that's where I did my first play. And there was a guy named Larry Sloan there. And he was the one to first start. Well, it actually, the Goodman did too. Uh, in Steppenwolf, the, you know, they, there was crossover there, and, and, and maybe that distinction was in our minds, maybe more than it really was, but we didn't audition for legitimate theater. Um, and then this guy, Larry Sloan, brought me into audition for Remains, and Joel got uh, a job over there, um, and then um, uh, I ended up getting my first, doing my very first play while I was working in Second City. They let me go do it, and that was the Chicago Conspiracy Trial. And that, and Dell was in that, and another guy from Second City, Bruce Jarko, who was in Second City before me. It was really that was a hoot, and that was my first play. And then for, I, <coughs> and I really enjoyed that, and started to do a few more of those. Now you've done a lot of comedy. You've done a serious road work. You did a Boss with Kelsey Grammer. What was that like working with him? Because I mean, his, they always say, I think his character is the longest-running character on a TV show between Cheers and Frasier. That actual character, I think, is the longest. I, I think um, Mariska Hardake just took that over because SVU's been on for so long. Oh. But what was that like to work with Kelsey? I didn't have a lot of scenes with him, but he was really uh, great. I mean, he, the, he, <laughs> he had the lion's share of that show. And I was, you know, I'd read the script, and then I thought, oh, Kelsey Grammer's doing this? Because it's a... He's a nasty, nasty person in the boss, uh, the character is. And I was thinking, oh, Kelsey Grammer seems like a kind of lovable guy. Within the first 10 minutes, he's, he's just, well, I think he's a great actor because um, you just forgot anything he'd ever played before. He was, he was just really great. Um, I loved, I really enjoyed that show. It was, uh, it was a lot of fun. Now, in the mob doc, in the, in the mob doctor, you played a doctor. What was that like? Um, have you been? You do you get cast a lot as doctors, or what do you get cast a lot as? If when you on a breakdown, what would they say? Here's a breakdown for David. What would it say? What What is your majority of what you get called for? Snarky shithead. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's my wheelhouse, man. Um, uh, a lot, yeah. Doctors, lawyers, that kind of thing. Uh, not real nice guys usually. Um, uh, and then, yeah, that kind of stuff. Now, Veep, tell me about Veep because I love the show Veep. And then your show is a snarky shit. I mean, you know, and you're right. And that, and your, your character is sort of an ass, you know, you're a womanizer, but it's great because you, your scenes with Julia are great. How did that role come about? Did she know of you? Cause I know she's from, you know, the Gary Kroger and all the, you know, Northwestern right, stuff. they're from the Northwestern and uh, right, the Practical Theater Company, and you had your Richard Kind on there. Um, so uh, I knew Richard, but I didn't know her. I didn't. I hadn't known Julia, um, and I actually I auditioned, I think, five different times for five different characters before I ended up getting that one. Um, and uh, they that was. Allison Jones, the casting director, um, who kept bringing me back. Now, and, uh, yeah, she was. She's. I think she's just wonderful, uh, Allison Jones. Oh, yeah, she's great. What is it like though working on that show? Because it's so well written. The it's cast. Everyone is good in that show. I mean, you look at it. There's no weak links. Links, and you know, if it's even you know, watch Gary Cole and Dunn and all those people. What is it like when you go onto a set? which it is the major leagues, and you're a major leaguer. I mean, as they said, you know, when you're interviewing WGN, that you should be on the, the uh, improv of Mount Rushmore. What's it like when you walk <laughs> on a set like that, when there's just, it's talent, even the writer, David Mandel, and just everybody. What is that like as an actor, and does that make it worth why you're doing this? Uh, 
Well, it's, um, you know, there's the, your perception of who these people are and their, you know, their, their reputation and their, uh, their body of work, right, that you've seen. You're like, oh, these people are great. And you walk on and you're just like, oh, yeah, but they're even better than that. <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, the one thing is that on the show they all play complete assholes and really dumb, almost Almost everyone plays someone who's stupid and horrible. And to a person, they're the kindest, brightest people I know. They're, uh, it's really a great group of, of folks. So they put you at ease pretty quickly. But it's an unusual situation just the way that the, way that the show is uh, shot. Is, it's unusual. So it, it took a minute to figure out what's going on. I remember the first, one of the first days I was shooting, uh, I go, I, they were, the camera's still rolling and I'm off screen a little bit and I ask Matt Walsh, what's going on? He says, oh, they're still rolling. And I said, should I go back out there? He said, okay. And it, I mean, it's that, it was that, that, uh, open. It was really, it, not always. I mean, of course they, there's, they're, they're, they're getting their pages and they're fit, they're shooting the scene as they need to shoot the scene. But there's room for uh, play and discovery. It was. It's really a, a an interesting way to shoot it. It's really fun. Now, how far? In but I re- also. Oh, go ahead. Also, when someone new comes on, it's really fun. All right, they have no idea what's happening. Right. Because <laughs> it's it's unusual, and you have. Uh, all right, I, I remember being being confused too. So you explain it to them. Now, how far in advance do you know that you're going to be on? Because I'm sure. They probably are very quiet on the script because it's. I think a lot of shows are like that. But do they tell you before the season, "Hey, we're going to have you a few times on," or do you not know until that season starts and then you get a call from your agent going, "Hey, we need you in L.A. because you're shooting V." Yeah, they tell you a little bit out that uh, there's stuff, um, but it you know that the actual dates don't because it's it, it changes the way it's shot and throughout the seasons the scripts change and things like that and um but they 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 tell you um but you don't i don't usually get scripts until right before now you've worked with a lot of people i saw you did some episodes of superior donuts did you get to work with judd hirsch on that i did now what's that like he's wonderful i mean he's great he he was on taxi he was dear john i mean you think of it he's one of those guys that no you anyone who's over 40 knows who he is and younger people may not because you don't see a lot of reruns of Taxi or Dear John. But he's a guy who everyone forgets. You know, he showed up on the show Marin. He's on the Goldbergs. He's one of those guys that is just must have stories because he's been around forever and he's constantly worked. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty fun to listen to his stories. Um, and they're not like not like everybody sits around and waits for Judd to tell stories. He's, uh, he's just, he, oh, that reminds me of such a, it's just, and they're, it's pretty fun. He's right. And as you say, he's been doing it forever um, at, at, a, at a great level. So it's, that was a real treat. So, and Katie Seagal, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, she, another one we forget. She was reminded with children and then Sons <laughs> of Anarchy. And you're like, right. oh, my God, she has not right. stopped working for whatever. Yeah. And it's amazing. She's fantastic. What okay? Tell me about Lodge Forty Nine. I know uh, David Ory's on that show. Eric Allen Kramer's on that show. They've both been on Cooper Talk. The show oh, number, did it get picked up for a second season? And are you going to be in it? it, it? Or tell, me, tell me about the we show. Are, we did get picked up for a second season. I am in it, um, and we uh, we go back into production in middle of January. And uh, yeah, it's on a bunch of uh, uh, a bunch of the magazines are putting it in its. Uh, best of 2018 shows and uh, lists, so it's really um, it's really fun. It's a blast. It's a really great group of folks. I've been, you know, I've, I, I've, I, as I say that, I've said that about a about many things um, I, since we've been talking today, and it's true every time. I've really l- lucked out with um, being around some great people. Well, tell me about your character on that show because I, you know, it's one of those things. I think it was following its Better Call Saul, if I'm correct. I'm not sure, but I always you are correct. Okay, I always wanted to watch it, but it's so funny. 
My girlfriend watches all regular network TV, and I've been watching a lot of sports. I don't know why I've fallen in love with basketball again. I'm going to the game tonight. But I want to find a show to watch. Tell me about your character and tell me a little about the show. Because now that I'm talking to you, and then I saw that Eric's in it, and I knew David Ori was in it. He was just, he's crazy. He's a great guy. I want to, uh, tell me more about the show and your character. Okay, the show is called Lodge 49 on AMC. And I uh, I believe it will be, uh, it, it is, is, is or shortly to be available on other platforms. But um, Lodge 49, and it, it takes, it's, centers around a this lodge, this mythical or fictional, uh, like a uh, an Elks or a Masons-ish lodge. So it has its own um, created lore and history, and um, it's set in Long Beach, California, where it used to have a big oil industry that boomed and busted, and then it had a big aerospace industry that boomed and busted. And so it's a kind of a down-on-its-luck town, and all the characters, everybody's, there's no, there's no wealthy people in the show. They're all working folk, and it centers around the lodge. The main character is Wyatt Russell, uh, plays a guy named Dud. He has a sister, who's played by Sonia Cassidy, and uh, the, um, the, head, the, the guy who's shepherding Wyatt Russell's character into the lodge is uh, Brent Jennings, uh, and so it's uh, it's those it's those that's the story. I play a guy who's also a lodge member and, a, and an officer in the lodge, and my day job is I own a pot dispensary, and um, uh, I I'm very interested in alchemy, and there are some mystical elements to uh, the history of the Lodge, and um, we're not sure if it's magical or not. Um, it's pretty, it's, a, it's I, I can say it's not like, I, we can't point to something and say it's like the X version of, of Z. It's not like, I don't think it's like anything. Um, uh, and it's, uh, the folks who are uh, watching it seem to really enjoy it, um, as do we. It's, ri- it's written by a guy named Jim Gavin, who has not done television. He only had uh, he wrote short stories, which are fantastic. There's a book called Middlemen, which is wonderful, and he writes a thing, and it's delightfully weird and uh, funny and sad. This I, I think the show is. It's just the characters are are the characters are real full, and you can you can kind of identify with at least someone. And now does that shoot in California? It actually shoots in Atlanta, and then we do a couple weeks out in Long Beach for exteriors. But the the bulk of it is shot in Atlanta. Now, what are some of your favorite places to shoot? I know, like Spencer had talked to how he loves Atlanta because of the food, and Spencer's a big foodie. But what are some of your favorite places? I mean, of course, Rome, you're going to say that. But in America, where do you like to shoot the best? I like Chicago, Illinois. I don't know if you've heard of that place. Um, I like New York. Um, I uh, was there working on Amy Sedaris' show, uh, At Home with Amy Sedaris. And uh, I really like New York. I, I just, I'm a huge fan of New York. Uh, I, don't, I like Los Angeles when I'm working. Um, because I just I, I still get a thrill out of walking on any one of those big lots. Like I, I, I get I get a thrill every single time I walk onto a lot. Um, it's just a I, and there's no place like it. Um, I like uh, I, I like those three. Those are you know uh, I've never shot in in New Mexico. I think that would be fun. I'd love to go shooting everywhere. Uh, I like Atlanta fine. Um, uh, I like bigger cities mostly. Now, and you're you're right. Rome is the best. Of course. I mean, it's it's Rome, I and mean, you're sitting there, and it's on there dying. I mean, you know, it doesn't get better than that. Right. Now, now, do you still do improv when you're in Chicago? And how often are you in Chicago when you're not shooting? I mean, how how often are you working when you're out of Chicago? Usually. <coughs> I'm here half the year, probably something like that. Maybe a little less, but yeah. 
And when I'm here, yes, I, I improvise. Like I say, TJ and I have a show tomorrow night. Um, and, uh, and when I'm down in Atlanta, I'll be improvising too, keeping busy. There's a, uh, great spot down there. Ryan Archibald and I will be doing shows at the village. <coughs> now, I also heard you open for Emo Phillips. That was in no interview. Did you do, did you do stand up? I did. Um, I have, uh, I used to do so when I first, when I first started going, getting going in improvisation, I, um, I do stand up. I was a house MC at a place called the Chicago Comedy Showcase in order to get more comfortable on stage so I could be a better improviser. And, um, I, I did a lot of stand up back then, but oh, you know, at, at the MC, uh, level and I was never real good. Uh, I, I was serviceable, but I was never real good. I am still at that level. Uh, <laughs> um, but em, I got, uh, Emo lets me open up for him, and, and it's just a real treat for me. And uh, and I also had another little show the other night opening up for some musicians, Ike Riley and Johnny Hickman, Ike Riley of the Ike Riley Assassination, and Johnny Hickman of Cracker. And uh, it, that was a hoot, too. Um, and Bobcat Goldthwait. Um, he had a show out in Los Angeles and, and, I, uh, let me come up and do some time there too. So when there are audiences like that, they're, they're already kind of pre-vetted, um, that are there to see those folks, then I do okay. I don't think I do well in just a straight up, you know, anywhere stand up club. No, how do you know Bobcat? Is it from when, I, you, when you did Misfits and, uh, Monsters or did you know him from before? From long before actually i know him through joel joel and he did one crazy summer a hundred years ago and uh joel introduced us a real long time ago and we were we've been friends for a long time now what is it like and yeah misfits and monsters was fun now what is it like for you when you do go to an improv spot in chicago because you have a reputation of being you know it's like when a comic comes in you like in philadelphia when a dom irera comes in you know, or a Todd Glass comes in. You're like, oh, wow. What is it like for you when you go into clubs? I mean, you, you have to notice it. Do you like the attention, and do you like to mentor people? I love Dom Irera. You're so funny. Um, uh, I, do, uh, um, I don't know that I get the attention that you're talking about. Um, and uh, I'm always happy to – I don't know that – there's – I'm – a couple guys that are, that came up after me uh, give me a call every once in a while. We go have a cup of coffee, and, and I'm happy to. I, I really do enjoy that. Um, uh, but I'm not around a lot, you know. So I, I don't know. I don't know if uh, I don't know if that happens. What you're describing? Okay. Well, uh, one more question. Veep this season. Will we be seeing you in Veep? Can you talk about it? I mean, because I think, when is the premiere? I know we're waiting for it. Is it in January, possibly, or February? I think it'll be uh, February. I think it's usually February, March, something like that. Um, I think I can say you will see me. Oh, that's good, because we always like seeing your guys dynamic. Oh, she's the best. She's the best. Anyway, I want to thank she, I mean, Julia Louis-Dreyfus. She's, she's one of the best. I mean, okay, you know, you've been around the business. You know, people say, you know, since Carol Burnett, she's probably one of the most, you know, and, and you can put her in a league of Carol Burnett. She's got to be one of the best comedic actresses of our time, of our and of our generation specifically. Um, I don't know of any that are, I don't know any better. Now, in your career, who are three people that you worked with that were your holy crap moments? Like, I'm working with this person. Well, Harold Ramis. Uh, Harold Ramis uh, is, that's, the, he, he was just the great, I, I think, just the greatest. Um, also, uh, you're, uh, I don't know if you know him, Chris Morris, the uh, British uh, writer, comic, director. He directed a um, the first Veep I was on, and uh, I didn't know he was going to be there, and I was just uh, just stunned. Uh, I just think he's fantastic. Um, uh, and holy, f- 
like the holy fuck moment. Right. This I'm standing here with this person. That happens a lot, oddly enough. Like that Tom Hanks, Ron Howard thing, the Julia. Um, it's uh, it's a hoot. I, and when I get to work with my friends, that is the that's the craziest. When we're on a show and and I get to work with uh, guys I've known for a really long time, that is just fantastic. And I, I just love that. Like with Bobcat or uh, working on Amy Amy Sedaris' show uh, with those goofballs and doing a scene with Mike Shannon. Um, I just get the biggest. That's what that's what I get the biggest kick out of working with my buddies. Now, now, how do you know Lou Schneider? I saw you respond to one of his tweets, and Lou's been on my show, and I know of your work, and I think I, I may have sent you a message on Facebook like two years ago, but what always happens is when you send people messages who you're not friends with, it goes into the other box, and they get tons of them. But I saw you respond to a Lou Schneider tweet, and I, I was like, I, I want to get this guy on my show, and that's when I tweeted you. How do you know Lou? Louie, uh, Holmes and Schneider, so I know Lou Schneider because of Stephen Leo. Do you know Stephen Leo? No. Stephen Leo were a comedy uh, duo in Chicago. Uh, Leo Benvenuti, Steve Rudnick. They ended up uh, as a screenwriting team. They uh, did a bunch of television and wrote Space Jam, The Santa Claus, um, Kicking and Screaming, among uh, and, and as well as a lot of other television. Um, but they were friends. Leo was a buddy of mine, and I went out and we'd do these nights. Uh, Cindy Caponera brought me out to Who's On First in Elmhurst, Illinois. Um, and we did uh, improvisation and sketch with <laughs> Stephen Leo and Louis Schneider. And uh, Lou would also, we'd had these, we had this breakfast group that would get together every now and again up at Manny's and what was then Wrigleyville. And it was, uh, so I've known him for a really long time, I've known him for 30 years. That's awesome. Well, you know what? It was great talking to you. You have, you have the Lodge, Lodge 49 coming up. You have Veep coming up. Anything else we can see in in, in the near future? Yeah, that uh, At Home with Amy Sedaris. Um, uh, his, the new season will be out also in the spring. Okay, well, you know, I want to thank you for taking the time. You're, you're a busy guy. And, uh, you know, it was always it's great talking to you. And I want to, you know, people go follow. Yeah, too. Follow his work, people. Go look up David Pesquisi. And that's the thing, people, when you have Netflix, you have Amazon Prime, you can see all these people's work. And then you go, oh, oh he talked about that. So go check his work out. Now, what's your Twitter handle? D Pesquisi. Okay. And your website, as I said, is David Pesquisi. It's a great website. It has lots of info. So people follow him. People follow me on Twitter. I'm at Cooper Talk. My website is coopertalk.net. Email me, cooper, at coopertalk.net. And I'll tell you about how the engagement goes after it happens. And Please. I have to pick up the ring. Anyway, so people, I'm Steve Cooper, only as hip as my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and I'll talk to you guys next week.